Hey folks, I am here with David Hawkins. We've got a quick update before you jump into this week's sermon. Uh, starting this week, we're going to be adding new stuff to our podcast feed, so it's not just sermons anymore. Uh, the reason why we're doing that, you, you may be familiar with me saying things like when we get together on Sundays, it is a sacred assembly, it is a gathering of the saints, and just so you know, I that is not preacherly hyperbole, like I mean that all the way down to my toes when we get together it is sacred. And so I want to use our time for the most important stuff that happens and that only happens in sacred assemblies or, or happens in a unique way in sacred assemblies. So things like prayer and worship and studying the Bible and the sacraments and, you know, we did baptisms this past week, things like that. We are always going to do all of those things there. We're never going to not do those things <laughs> Um, but we have time constraints, and the fact is there's always a lot more that we want to talk about or work through, and there's just not time always. And to be clear, it's not just like the piddly leftover stuff. Like There's right. always really good, yeah. exciting stuff that we're eager to share that really matters that just doesn't get shared. And, and we have people asking, like, hey, what about this and what about that? Yeah. And I heard about healings. Where were the stories? Or I... You know, what's the box doing? What's happening in missions, et cetera, et cetera? And it's like, yeah, we really do need to tell you all those things, but we're always going to do those other things. And they end up getting cut again and again. So it seemed good to us that some extra episodes on this podcast could be a good solution. Yeah, no, totally. And and it's um, conversational. It's, is, you know, not super high production. You know, we've got a couple microphones we're going to say some things, but I think it's meaningful. Um, well, throughout the weeks, we'll go through like stories, testimonies, have some guests. I don't know. We'll do, we'll talk about worship, mm -hmm. um, which I'm particularly uh, excited <laughs> about. We'll have building updates, um, maybe even some like question and answer. I don't know how that works. Uh, we'll highlight ministries, events, box updates, missions, things you've, you've already said, Aaron. Mm -hmm. But really, ultimately, we just, it's that extra space, like you said, where we can talk about these awesome and meaningful things uh, and not have to fit it all into, you know, 60 to 70 minutes on a Sunday. Yeah, that's right. I appreciate you saying 60 to 70 as if yeah. uh, I never <laughs> go past that. All right, so stay locked into this feed. So this is not a new podcast. We're just adding to Correct. this one. So just more episodes on this one. So if you haven't already subscribed, make sure that you do. If you just pop on and grab stuff when you miss church on Sunday and you want to hear the sermon, I would say go ahead and subscribe now because there's a bunch of stuff coming on this podcast feed that is not ever going to be discussed on a mm -hmm. Sunday, and it's like good stuff. So Absolutely. if you haven't, subscribed right away. Thanks, folks. Thanks, guys. and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Again, 
with some scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. I'll read from the CSB. It says this, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now, you may have, you didn't like in a way that I could see because you're kind-hearted, but you may have rolled the eyes of your heart when we said, when I pulled this up and you thought, here we go with Ephesians 6 again, because we have looked to this text again and again and again. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You might be tired of hearing me say it. The fact is, in our society, the last few years have been pretty fractious, pretty contentious, uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of offense, a lot of vitriol, a lot of just angst in the broader society. Um, and so we have been saying these words again and again. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. No human is your enemy. No human is your enemy. Um, I, I read the Bible with a, a group of guys, and this week we were working through Proverbs chapter 10, and I read this proverb, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all offenses. And I thought, uh-oh, that doesn't speak well to the current state of our society because there's lots of conflict, that means lots of hate, and there's lots of offense, that means not a lot of love. And so in this context, we have been saying, no human is your enemy, no human is your enemy. Okay, great, okay, we've said it again and again. But on the other hand, we actually haven't talked about the other half of the equation, which is that we do have enemies. And we, we might go, oh, wait, wait a second. We have enemies, and they're, they're not human? <laughs> like, how, how are we supposed to even think about that? What are we supposed to do with that? As we just read in Ephesians 6, apparently there is a devil, there are evil spiritual forces, principalities and powers, whatever in the world that is or whatever not in the world that is, cosmic evil rulers and authorities all lurking around. I feel like it's safe to say they lurk. Lurking around in a spiritual realm that is very real, that very clearly affects our physical world, but that we don't get to see or understand, and we're at war with these things? That's a lot. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said, I do not box as one beating the air. That's kind of what this sounds like. Just, what are you, what are you doing? I, spiritual warfare, I guess. I don't, I, I hope. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, it just feels weird. Like, I, I know that I have a spirit. I am in a very real way a spiritual being. But I don't know about you, but my five senses only work in the physical world. But I'm at war in the spiritual world. That's a lot. It, it is no wonder, no wonder at all that people actively ignore this reality. They're just, we, the subject comes up, and I'm like, nope, I'm out. Uh, and I understand it. You know, you could approach someone, hey, are you a Christian? Yep. Okay, what do you think about the clear biblical teaching that we are locked in a cosmic struggle with a whole pantheon of evil spiritual beings? How about them balls? You know, like, I don't, it's like, man, you made it weird. I don't, I don't know. So you might, you might ask me, Aaron, can, can you in combat defeat a great white shark? <laughs> 
And I would say I, that depends almost entirely on one very important variable. Um, are we in the water? <laughs> or are we out of the water? Right? Because in the water, that's a silly question. That's ridiculous. I, have, I stand absolutely no chance whatsoever. Outside of the water, I like my chances. just feel like I need to not stand next to its mouth and wait a bit. And I'm going to win. <laughs> I feel like I can do that. We're talking about principalities, powers, evil, dark, invisible, cosmic, spiritual forces. It's like, yeah, that sounds like fighting the shark in the water. So back to my first question, okay, apparently there's this whole spiritual realm, and in that realm there is what appears to be a vast army of dark spiritual forces, and they are hell-bent, pun intended, on our destruction. They, they have a leader, there's a hierarchy in place, in other words, the bad guys are organized, and we can't see or understand any of it, and we're supposed to fight and win? So the question is, how are we even supposed to think about that? And typically, we just go, I don't know, so I won't. I, I would like to submit that that's not a great strategy. How are we supposed to think about this? Now, fortunately for us, um, this is a very, very old question, uh, a question that is addressed in many ways throughout the Bible, and it's a question that the church has been pondering together for a very, very long time. And going all the way back to the desert, the desert fathers, and, and really in, in, in simpler forms before that, the people of God, okay, our, our extended family in the body of Christ, have identified the three great enemies of our soul. They are the devil, the flesh, and the world. The devil, the flesh, and the world. Now, the Bible speaks a whole lot about all three. And together, they make up something like, we could think of it this way, like a counter-trinity. Sort of an, an unholy trinity. The devil, the flesh, the world. Now, there's so many things that for sake of scope that we won't even, we won't even approach. And, and, you know, the Bible hints at something or, or things that seem much more complicated than, than those three things and that sort of unholy trinity. And what has happened is people, some people, um, have come up with these just endlessly complex demonologies is what they're often called um, that, I don't know, maybe they're correct on some level, but as I read them, they mostly strike me as stuff that's been made up or conjecture, honestly, and taking liberties with Scripture and filling in blanks that I'm not sure we're able to fill in blanks for. And then, and then like, they, from that, develop whole strategies for how we engage in battle. And I don't know, man, there's good in that, I suppose. I think it's mostly sideways energy, and in some places, I think it, in some cases, it could be really counterproductive. I want to read you something that C.S. Lewis said, and of course it's really insightful, so lean in. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. So you go, that's error number one. I just, ah, not a thing. Error number two. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. You know the type, beady eyes. Um, they, I shouldn't have said that. Um, Here's what, here's what uh, Lewis says about this. They themselves, referring to the devils, the devils themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And they hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. Lewis is so right about this. He's so right. Like, we're way off track if we choose either denial 
or unhealthy obsession. Both are really problematic. But the Bible does give us a grid, again, for how to think about this. The devil, the, the flesh, the world. Let me read you three verses, the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, and you're going to see all three of them. Just They're right here in the space of a couple of verses. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, verse 2, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. That's one of According to the ruler of the power of the air, that's referring to Satan, the devil, this, which is also the spirit now working in the disobedient. And we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclination of our flesh and thoughts. So just right there, and we're not unpacking it, but just, just want to see just right there, just a couple of verses, there's, there's all three. And each with a part to play. Satan, the devil, does its thing. Our own sinful nature, our flesh, it does its thing. This fallen world that we live in, which is clearly under Satan's dominion, it does its thing, and all in opposition to God and his creation. That makes sense, you guys with me so far? So I just want to acknowledge again, the idea, the idea of a devil um, just conjures up all sorts of stuff in our minds, okay? If, if you're picturing a red suit and a pitchfork, you want to move away from that. If, if your mind went to Will Ferrell, you were going to go way from that, if you know that old classic skit. Um, most of what we think about, and I, I, I mean this in all love, I'm not trying to be mean, like, it's probably not particularly biblical, it's probably wrong. Um, so there's lots of myths to address, but there's, there's one among the many that I want to address now, which is just the notion that there's no such thing. Um, it's not uncommon to hear somebody say, okay, something along the lines of, well, I, I believe in Jesus, sign me up, I'm in. I believe in Jesus, just not, not the devil. Like, you know, it'd be so, it's, it's the 21st century. I think, I think we've moved past that. And to that, I just want to say, I, I, I really get that. I get that. I don't hear that and think, well, you rationalist, cold-hearted. No, I don't. I just think, yeah, no, I get it. This is a very weird notion. But there's sort of this inescapable reality that if you're, if you're team Jesus, you're kind of stuck with the devil. You just are. Because we learned about Jesus from the Bible, and the Bible is very, 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 very clear. The devil is definitely a thing. And if you buy the Jesus thing but not the devil thing, then I'm not sure how you address the fact that Jesus himself certainly believed in the devil. In fact, if you ever read them with this lens, it's probably not. Why would you? But if you read through the Gospels and then you, you just cut out all the bits about Jesus' temptation and all the encounters with demonic spirits and evil forces and references to spiritual warfare and to our enemy, then by the time you're done, you've sliced out nearly half of the Gospels, and none of what's left will make any sense. Sorry, folks, I don't like it either, but the devil is definitely a thing. Now, just a quick aside about that. I just want to be clear about this. It is a total cop-out. It is full-on, all-the-way nonsense to ever say, the devil made me do it. Just don't, okay? We're going to hit that next week, but suffice to say, guys, it's always wrong, okay? I just want to look in your eyes and say, I love you. No, he didn't. Don't say that, okay? So I understand that people can go, oh, the devil, I'm going to hide behind that. It's going to be my excuse for this, and I'm not talking about that at all. But with all that said, just, just be honest in your own minds for a second. If you, if you search your own life, your, your own attempts to, let's say, I mean, you're good people, to be a force for good in this world. Your own efforts to walk with Jesus and to love your neighbor. And with that in mind, I asked you, hey, do you ever, 
Do you ever get the sense that there's, there's some outside spiritual force that is at work, that's pressing, that's, that's fighting against you? I, I think if you were honest, I think you'd have to say yes. I think you'd have to go, yeah, that's a thing. And the Bible would say, yes, it is a thing. You have a spiritual enemy. The Bible calls it the devil or the enemy or the accuser or the Satan or the tempter or the destroyer. Or I could go on and on because it talks about it so much. And it's the first part of the unholy trinity. Now, at the same time, in sort of the same vein, I could ask you a similar question. I could say, do you ever get the sense that something within you, something within your own self, that is somehow, perhaps in some way, pulling you toward evil, pushing you away from love, that there's something, a selfish bent within you, something tempting you, in you, that pulls you away from the good. And again, I think if you were honest, you'd have to say, yes, that's a thing. And the Bible would say, yes, that's a thing. It's called the flesh. In our own sinful nature, we are bent toward evil, iniquity, selfishness, and away from love. So a couple of verses, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. I say then walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. So there's personification here, right? This is an animated thing, okay? The flesh desires what is against the Spirit. The Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't, can we relate, you don't do what you want. So the Bible would say, yeah, that's a thing. And actually, that's the second part of this unholy trinity. And, and finally, I could ask you a, a third question, same type of thing. Do you ever get the idea that just the world around you is, is somehow pulling you away from love and toward evil, toward selfishness? Do you ever get the sense that somehow the broader culture, you could say, the norms in our society, just the way that people are in the state that we are in, that somehow they have twisted our understanding of truth, our understanding of reality, and had this gravitational pull towards selfishness, toward gratification. And again, if you were honest, I think you would have to say, yeah, that's a thing. And the Bible would say, yes, that's a thing. In Scripture, it's called the world. Okay, so a couple more verses. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And also 1 John chapter 2 now, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride in one's own possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So again, we have sort of this abstract, but still this personification. Verse 17, and the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. So uh, just to clarify, this is not a reference to individual people or to like, you know, rivers or mountains or streams or animals. God loves his creation, okay? The world has different meanings, different senses, okay? Um, but instead, what this is referring to clearly um, is to the kingdom of this world, the fallen nature of our society, over which, as we just read, Satan clearly rules. And it's the third member of, again, the sort of counter-trinity or this unholy trinity, the devil, the flesh, and the world, and this is what we're up against. And the thesis of this book, Live No Lies, which I want you to read so very much, 
um, is that the three enemies of our soul, they sabotage our peace, um, they, they wreak all sorts of havoc in our lives using a basic strategy. I just want to very quickly unpack that basic strategy. Here's an important thing for you to know. We'll say more about it next week. But the devil's only real power is to get us to believe things that aren't true. Okay? You can let that sink in. It's an idea we'll return to again and again. The only real power is, is lies. To get us to believe things that aren't true. That's his only weapon, lies. Guys, that's why the truth sets us free. Okay? Truth sets us free because it opposes the lies of the enemy. So, um, the devil presents us with deceptive ideas, with lies. Those lies, either immediately or as a process, they begin to take root. And once those lies are taken on, they then play to our own selfish desires, our own sinful nature, our flesh, the disordered desires that are within us, okay? And then, now the lie has been taken, and it has been, um, you know, uh, played on by our own sinful nature, then the world in which we live, around which we are utterly, you know, into which we are just submerged because we are people in this world, um, and this world which is under the control of the evil, evil one, it just all the more reinforces the whole thing. And it leads to, in many ways... Um, our destruction. So there's a, a slide that sort of lays this out, and as you read the book, you'll, you'll find this in the book, and perhaps this is helpful for you. Deceptive ideas, which we connect to the devil's forces, that play to our own disordered, uh, desi- disordered desires, that's the flesh, and those disordered desires and distorted ideas um, are normalized in a sinful society, which is the world. That's how it works. And the trouble is not so much that we believe the lies, but that what we believe, the lies we believe, change the way that we live. We live the lies. Okay? Thus the title of the book, Live No Lies. That's the goal. The next three weeks, uh, we are going to take each of these three enemies. We're going to talk about how to fight against them. Individually, we'll take one at a time. And then, you know, actually win. Defeat the shark in the water. Um, I just want to acknowledge, I want to take a minute here to acknowledge something. I know I've already said I just want to lean in just a bit more. I I want to just recognize um, that all of this conversation is, A, super weird, weirdly abstract, hard to get hold of. And it, it may just really make you want to stick your head in the sand and think about literally anything else. Like, what do you want to talk about? Just anything but that. Just, I, I, the one thing I know for sure is I don't want to talk about what you're talking about right now. Uh, I get it. And, and I'm not just saying that. Like, it has that effect on me too. I would, I think, just almost anything. Let's talk about politics. That sounds better. Woo! <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe they're related. I don't know. I'm off track. I just want to acknowledge that it just makes so much sense if that's what you're feeling right now. But I also want to point out what I think is, is apparent. We are not well served by ignoring these realities. If this is true, it's best we open our eyes to this truth. And not just, you know, go blithely 
just floating around through our days, denying the facts, strolling through life with bullets flying all around us because we are at war. Um, that strikes me, I'm not a military strategist, but that strikes me as literally the worst conceivable strategy is to ignore and simply proceed. Willful, willful ignorance just cannot be our best approach. I'm sure we can do better, and I'm sure Scripture has taught us better. I know this is all weird and confusing. We, we can do better. Um, and I want to wrap up here and just tell you a quick story. Um, my son, uh, ever since he was little, he's been a morning person, and so he would wake us up very early, uh, especially when he was like three or four. Five was not uncommon. We saw the fours a few times. If we were lucky, we'd get to 5.30. Okay. Uh, he's a morning person and a toddler, so that's the worst combination imaginable. And, but we love him. We love him very much. Anyway, I'm uh, a morning person as well and a very light sleeper, especially in the early morning hours. So he would wake up and want to see us. <laughs> and what he would do is... Um, he would try to, as quietly as he could, open the doorknob. And he was being very sweet, just take like five seconds to open the doorknob. But the thing is, as soon as he touched the doorknob, I'm awake, 100%. Like, bing, I'm up, okay? And he would take his time to open. I would just sit there and listen to every little part of it, hearing, hearing the mechanics in the, um, in, the, in, in the doorknob as he turns it ever so slowly. And he would walk in, and he would do like the exaggerated cartoon tiptoe, you know? <laughs> And I'd see his shadow doing that, and I'd try not to laugh. And this is, again, three, four years old. And then he would crawl into my side of the bed. He knew I was the morning person, so that was his best bet. So he would crawl into my side of the bed, and then he would lay his entire body on top of me. We're stacked too deep. And then he would put his face right in front of my face and his nose on my nose. And then he would go, Dad! You know... You know the thing where you whisper and it's so much louder than when you talk, like kids do? Dad! Are you awake? And about half the time I'd be like, oh, oh, hey, son, you know, just to play along with Like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm awake. It was, so, it was so ridiculous. And then my morning would be gone, and then so much Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Anyway, just over and over and over and over again. Some Thomas the Train as well. Um... And the thing is, like, he was trying so hard to be subtle and to, and to, like, be kind about the whole thing. But there was nothing subtle about the wake-up call at all. Not, he tried, okay? All right, here's the thing. I, I, I'm a preacher. I want you guys to, like, lean in. I want you to hold on to what I'm saying. I don't want you to hear it, get freaked out and reject, okay? So there's a part of me where I'm just trying to be subtle, okay? Like, hey, guys, we're not well served by putting our head in the sand. But are you awake? this reality or are you not and there's another part of me that just has to acknowledge there's nothing subtle about this we are at war with the forces of darkness we need to be awake to that reality are you awake because you can you can do what I was doing at the time you can just close your eyes and pretend to be asleep and like maybe that helps to me that sounds like the seedbed of another existential crisis but but are you awake and I just want to take a moment now and go, okay, if there's a part of you that's like, yeah, okay, I technically believe it. I don't want to think about it. And I would just rather, you know, perhaps we can just, you know, put this where we put the doctrines that we don't want to talk about. There's a list of those two. I just want to say, just 
with all love I can, you're not well served by that. You need to be awake to this reality. And so come back in the next three weeks. And if your head's still in the sand, I'll try to pull your head out of the sand and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But if you're awake to the reality and you're looking for a means by which you can actually engage in this war as directed by scripture, then we'll get that.